and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Danny Wilson. So Danny is the co-founder of Boxing Science, where he's trained over 100 boxers from professional all the way down to amateur levels. And that makes him the perfect person today to discuss how you can improve your punching power. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Danny onto the show. So Danny, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. So, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so for those that don't know me, my name's Danny Wilson. I'm the co-founder and strength conditioning at Boxing Science. Um, at Boxing Science, predominantly, we do exactly what it says on the tin. We provide sports science services for boxing. We work with uh, amateurs that are just starting from their, that, that, in their first bout all the way up to world champions and for, provide sports science consultancy from strength conditioning, nutrition, physiology but also do testing we're doing intensive uh, kind of testing protocol that we've got over like 600 data base entries now uh, so we've got a very very robust database to know exactly what it takes to improve physical performance in boxing but also tell a boxer where their strengths are where their areas for improvement are and also how to improve it and we do this like kind of for our sports science consultancy with amateurs and professionals that I just mentioned, but also we want to have an impact on the sport. So this research that we're actually doing, we're sharing that as much as we can. And the reason why we started Boxing Science is because we knew that an athlete or a coach might not pick up a, a journal article. Well, I say might not, probably 95% of them won't pick up a journal article. So for us to share the research that we're doing in peer-reviewed journal articles, would be would be probably a waste of time. So we need to find out ways on how to share this information. So originally then, it was to build a website, so boxingscience.co.uk, where we're putting articles, putting videos out on there. And then that's kind of grown over the years. Social media's grown in terms of like kind of the content that you put out on there, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, also doing stuff like this, podcasts. and. Basically, that's grown to a level that I, I didn't really imagine when we first kind of writing down why we wanted to do boxing science. So we we share the content, which is free and accessible, to have an impact on the sport, and then we pull that in into doing like eBooks and products for athletes and coaches to get a little bit more in depth and, and a little bit more practical application. And we also do our courses as well. So we do arrange different courses, a, a very generic one that's basically all of our training methods and then really in-depth courses where we're talking about more advanced training methods to give people the tools that we're uh, to follow the boxing science methods in their training environment. Because I'm sitting in the boxing science performance center here, we've got uh, altitude tents, we've got curves, we've got air bikes, we've got the bias center, analyze the lactates to make sure that every percentage is covered during training camp. But we know that boxers uh, and athletes uh, sorry, boxers, athletes and coaches don't have access to these kind of training devices. So we need we need to make sure that our training methods are applicable to any kind of training environment. And that's why we put so much out on, on social media, put so much into our educational content to make sure that everything that we do is practically applied to have an impact on the sport. Absolutely excellent, mate. So obviously that makes you the perfect person today to discuss punching power, right? So listening to what you're saying, you can go on a hundred different topics, but I yeah. want to kind of narrow it down to one. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. Yeah. Um, so in terms of like 
hitting someone really hard. Like let's let's make it sports specific, not Saturday night when you get Larry, but like yeah. sports specific. Why is punching power important in boxing? Well, you either can win in two ways in boxing. It's either on points by decision or rendering somebody unconscious and that's basically what the goal is and sometimes it's like against like ethical grounds to think that that's what we're trying to improve at boxing science but the the kind of the nature of the sport and the impact the social impact of the sport makes us feel at ease so basically that's basically what we're wanting to do um and in terms of strength and conditioning punch power obviously is the the gold standard in terms of what we want to improve but there's many other factors that we want to improve we want to improve uh, movement to help reduce injury risk we want to help improve movement and stability that dy- dynamic movement as well so the key movers in the ring that's to get them into attacking or defensive positions for offensive and defensive situations and then also to help them make weight better to be fitter to be more conditioned at the weight and also to improve like their their career longevity so there's many different things that strength condition can offer rather than just punch power but punch power is so important for boxing. Whether you are a knockout artist, you're going to knock somebody out in one round, or your defensive masterminds, such as like Floyd Mayweather, they still need punch power to get the respect from their opponents to make sure that they're scoring uh, significant blows to their opponent. So punch power is really important. Now, that can come from strength and conditioning, but, it can also, but mainly comes from technique and timing. But once an athlete has the technique and timing, pop strength condition behind it then that can help increase punch power so when when we look at those kind of determinants right like um what are the the physiological determinants of of punching someone really hard so you're, you're looking at someone in a ring and you're like oh, okay it looks really easy right uh, i can't do that yeah <laughs> like everyone likes to think they can do that but obviously they can't so what what are the physiological underpinnings of uh, of punch power there's many different many different factors like i just said technique and timing is the, is the key ones now the physiological determinants of like producing force during a punch there's a, a study about Nakano et al 2014 that shows that the punching arm uh, the impact of the punching arm is explained 90% by impulse so we go to the impulse momentum relationship where impulse is force times by time momentum is mass times velocity so we can either produce a lot of force in a short amount of time or move mass very very quickly and that's the that's the key goal so if we're wanting to try and increase an impulse momentum relationship we either increase mass increase speed or increase force production in boxing we basically well sorry how we break this down to athletes is that you can be an elephant or a rocket so a rocket is impulse an elephant is a mass moving quickly and uh, momentum or we can be an elephant with a rocket on its back and we need to basically move that elephant as much as as much as we can and as fast as we can so we can either increase the size of the elephant or we can increase the power and speed of the rocket now the main problem in boxing is that we can't increase the size of the elephant too much unless you're working with heavyweights or you're moving up in weight category because boxers have to make weight they have to make a certain weight category so we can't just put on muscle to try and improve their impulse momentum relationship so that means that impulse becomes a key factor that we need to improve on and that is increasing the rate of force development increase force expression and and speed so 
that's the key thing be, that goes into behind the punch. Also, what's really important is the kinetic chain. So from going from the foot all the way through to the face. So how you react with the floor rather than like you get athletes, uh, sorry, you get people coming into the gym for the first time, they go and hit the bags and it's just arm shots, trying to tense up as much as they can and trying to punch the bag as hard as they can. Rather than thinking about the energy and the flow from the lower body, the rapid hip and torso rotation, and transfer that force all the way through to the face. Also what's a, a key factor is the double peaking activation. So when an athlete, uh, a boxer, throws a punch, they go undergo a double peaking activation. So they'll have an increase spiking activation at the very start, the initiation of the punch, and this is from the, the torso rotation, the hip rotation. As we go through to the, uh, like through the punch and delivery of the punch, the arm relaxes. Now, the reason why the arm relaxes so much is because it, that increases the speed of delivery of the fist. If it's not relaxed, then in its tensor, this will effectively decelerate the fist and create that tension, so then the fist slows down. So it won't be able to move as quickly, won't be able to produce as much punch power. So this is why I see boxers that are quite skinny and have long levers that can just punch, can, can really, really punch hard. Whereas sometimes you get stocky fighters, really big muscles here, and they can't punch. So this is the reason why. Then you've got the, the double peaking activation. So the second peak is when you come into contact with the opponent. And this is called what, what we, this is what we call the snap. So it's the, the snap-like effect pushing against the opponent's head, body, or against like a pad or a bag. If you th imagine if you push against it and don't really snap, then that's when your wrist turns in. This is where people end up uh, in the wrist or the fist. So if anybody's like listening to this, uh, punch a punch bag before, and the first time that they hit it, they hurt the hands, it's because effectively they're not snapping at the end range of the movement. And this kind of snapping is created by a global stiffening effect, a global isometric tension through the wrist, forearm, arm, shoulder, through the core and through the lower body. And that is developed through the technique and timing, but also we can do stuff in the gym, such as like isometric training, um, punch isometric training, stuff like that, that can have a transfer towards that. Um, in terms of like what we find in our testing, we look at a range of different things. And when we first started Boxing Science, we did a testing battery and it was the first testing battery that was done in boxing. And what we did was correlations towards a punch specific test. So we did a med ball punch throw. And we've, we've uh, improved this test, a med ball punch throw to a landmine punch throw. And we do lots of different correlations in to, to try and find the biggest determining factor towards the punching action. So we do put like, like we look at reactive strength and that's about a 30% increase. So the stiffness through the foot and ankle complex has a 30% transfer. Jumping, so lower body impulse, has around about a 50 to 60% transfer. So we know that majority of fighters, the higher that they can jump, the harder that they can punch. So that becomes a key factor. In our original study, we looked at like kind of lean muscle, uh, like kind of lean muscle and lean muscle distribution. And what we found was that the arms 
the lean muscle mass of the arms didn't have a significant correlation with punching power. So that kind of feeds into that theory about the, the effect of the double peaking activation and the tension going through the arms not being a significant factor. The lower body comes second, that's about a medium correlation, and then it's a large correlation, R squared value of 0.74, with lean muscle mass of the trunk transferring into a punching action. So that's the biggest physical contributor. And then, we've done recently, we have done um, a rotational pull-off hold, isometric hold, and we've assessed the maximum output that an athlete can do in isometric fashion. So we did it originally with the crane scale, uh, with a luggage crane that you just do when you're going on holiday. So that's a very, very cheap option. Or we've just uh, invested in a dynamometer. And what we find is that more score that you hit on there, the highest uh, kind of in kilos, has a 75 to 85% transfer towards your scores on landmine punch throw. So for the last 10 years, we've been going lower body impulse trunk mass, lower body impulse trunk mass, because we know that this is the biggest, biggest transfer towards a punch. Now, what we're seeing is that rotational forces of the trunk has the biggest transfer towards a punch. So this is, in my mind, is thinking, well, we've been doing trap bar deadlifts, we've been trap bar jumps, loaded ballistics, plyometrics, this has been our key goal. Now, we're probably thinking, right, improving rotational force, rotational speed, rotational power is going to be our biggest contributor towards a punch. So hopefully that's given you a bit of a, a bit of an insight. Like I said, it could go on all day about, you know, we've just done a full weekend workshop on how to develop more punching power and the strength behind it and everything like that. Hopefully that's given you a good overview of uh, the physical um, determinants of a punch. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, I think that's, that's really clear and really interesting as well that it's not mm. just big arms, is big hitting it's uh it's a little bit more complex than that yeah. so when we're looking to train these different uh physiological variables <clears throat> where do you start like how do you start going about actually improving these various because obviously you've got um ankle stiffness uh jump height and then rotational uh forces how do you go about training that to improve punching power so i've placed a camera for those that are watching and uh, those that are only listening, I'll describe it, but I've got a nice little logo there, and it might be in reverse, so I'll, I will read it out. But our four key basic things is move better, get stronger, move faster, and punch harder. First of all, move better, because, well, like I say, the kinetic chain sequencing is so important, transferring force from foot all the way through to the fist. So this is force transmission. If an athlete can't move well and has movement limitations will limit the effectiveness of that kinetic chain sequencing. So we we test boxers to look at their movement skills and capabilities and we perform the overhead squat as a main thing. Uh, we do a single leg squat, squat to stand. We don't put them through really intensive um, and extensive physio screening sessions. We can almost see what we need to see from a, from an overhead squat. With the overhead squat, we did this test uh, with 150 youth boxers. What we saw was 66% exhibited tight shoulders. We also saw that about 40% had tight hips. So the majority of boxers have got some sort of movement issue. So when we're thinking about force transmission, 
if we can increase the amount of force that an athlete produces but they can't move well that's going to affect their ability to punch on so that's the first stage so they've got movement limitations we need to get them moving better we need to improve their overhead range we need to improve their hip range to make sure that they've got them foundations to get stronger and then we look to get stronger so increasing maximum strength so we know that the rate of force development is a vital tool for increasing impulse and transferring towards a punch. However, we need to get strong to be able to do that. So we know that the stronger that you are, the more rate of force development that you can produce. With boxers, because they're unable to move as well and they have limited exposure to maximum strength, they actually can't express force when they're going up to high lows. So we we move our athletes across the, uh, you'll have heard it on the podcast before the load velocity and force velocity curve where you're working high forces and low velocities down to high velocities and low loads boxes are more down towards this end high speeds but very low loads that's either because they, they haven't done much strength conditioning before and the exercises that they do in the gym are mostly body weight mostly explosive and when they do strength conditioning, they want it to look like the sport, so they end up being more explosive and shying away from heavier weights. So when they come into this gym here, when we're like testing their strength, they more or less can't expose themselves to high strength values. So we need to basically increase their ability to express force towards that high force, low velocity, to increase maximum strength, to then transfer to gains in rate force development. But this is done through a block by block process. We need to build up them foundations first before we're getting them on maximum heavy lifts. So that's get stronger. Once they get strong and they're able to hit some sort of strength standards, trap bar, pressing, pulling, um, squatting, stuff like that, they then move on to like kind of move faster. So that's being able to express force in a very short amount of time. So that's load of jumps, that's plyometrics, that's rotational med ball throws and stuff like that. So we're building some good solid foundations and then being able to express force. And then we've got punch harder, which is our punch specific exercises. So stuff like med ball punch throw, landmine punch throw, landmine punch with bands, all the fancy stuff that get a lot of likes on, on social media. But they're, but basically putting that icing on top of the cake built some really good foundations in movement in strength and speed and force and basically force expression ice on top of the cake linking that all together in a punch specific action and that's basic that's our basic approach to um getting somebody to punch harder absolutely fantastic so when you when you bring this all together right like i'm interested to see what happens when you you get someone into the gym or you you start with that that testing battery can you give us some some kind of case study as to how you've gone about improving punch power before looking at like for example they, they come into you and they're like right, okay i want to uh punch harder what are you going to do with that person to bring them to that end stage yeah so we do that testing battery so we do count movement drum rsi um We'll do landmine punch throw. We'll do that at two different loads where we'll do a lighter load and a heavier load uh, to see whether an athlete is faster but not strong or strong but, but a little bit slower. We do load velocity profile on the on the tra- on the trap bar. We'll do the rotational test. 
and basically we know what should link to each other so for example if an athlete is able to jump high they're excellent on the jump high they should be hitting excellent on the punch because we know the higher that you can jump the harder that you can punch if that isn't the case then we've got to look a little bit deeper look, look a little bit more um, bespoke to them so how are they moving what's upper body strength like what's the rotational strength like more often than not it's the rotational strength okay <coughs> and we, we we do that in the same way with the rotational strength test the strong rotational strength test but not as strong on the punch then we'll have a look at the jump high so you can see why is it gets a little bit more bespoke to go like right this is what this athlete actually needs to work on so I'm thinking about an, like an example in my head um, because there's, there's hundreds that I've done over the years but something that's kind of sprung to mind is an athlete that's fighting at the weekend Terry Harper a female athlete female world champion two weight world champion and she has recently moved up four weight divisions okay uh, which isn't really seen that much in boxing more in women boxing than, than men's and that's just due to the kind of talent pool and all, and kind of the, the strength of women compared to men and with her jumps and her rotational strength and everything like that that all matched up but something was lacking in her punches and through like kind of research that we see that women, uh, female fight, uh, female athletes have a bit of a, more of a drop off in upper body strength than they do in lower body strength compared to men so my goal with Terry was to improve upper body strength so that became a key factor in her program to increase upper body strength so it's almost gone reverse to what I've been saying before where it's like lower body impulse rotational strength, rotational power with this athlete here, female athlete we're looking at her data and thinking right, where can we kind of increase this athlete's performance and Recent, like recently she's been really working on uh, dumbbell press, rack press rack press with bands um, bench press throw so working on not only the upper body strength but upper body hand speed as well and what we've seen in this camp is that she's improved from the previous camp by 15-20% but from where she was 18 months ago that's improved by 50% so if you're going to give an athlete a magic pill, obviously a legal one, and they <laughs> and they and they and they you're going to improve their punch power by fifty percent. They will take it every time. They'll take it every time as long as it's legal, obviously. But this is just down to analysing an athlete's program, uh, athlete's profile, physical pro profile, putting in a basic program is basic because like even though it seems really advanced it's pressing it's pulling it's throwing things but doing it in a structured way and an athlete being committed and dedicated to that and following the blueprint has helped improve them by 50% and another thing that we have on the wall here is massive things that take no talent the athletes that come in hit this gym have abundance of talent they're fantastic fighters the way that they move the dedication that they show is unbelievable. But the things that they're doing here, take no talent. I can throw a landmine faster if I wanted to. 
I can increase my bench press if I wanted to. But it's all, but I can't transfer that into obviously boxing. Athletes in here can just do all this to try and make themselves 10, 20, and in Terry's case, 50% better just through following a structured program and being dedicated to it. And that's a, a really interesting point that you can make so much improvement by effectively just doing good strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to doing that simple program that you just mentioned, could you walk us through what a program like that might look like in terms of exercises, sets and reps? Yeah, so it's, bit, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what we do for each athlete because everybody's bespoke. They all have individual profiles. Thing is with boxing, they all come in so many different shapes and sizes, ethnicities, social backgrounds, everything. Everything's different. Lever length, they're all different. So I can't just give one program to one athlete and that work for everything. So this is the reason why I pride ourselves in being so bespoke in our approach. But to simplify things, we just work on the six pillars of strength conditioning for, for us, which is a squat, hinge, push and pull, and we split that up into horizontal and vertical, push and pull, single leg exercise, and then we do our core training, which is anti-extension, anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion, and hip flexion with neutral spine. And just to give you a bit of an insight to how we distribute that over a week, we do two sessions, we do a two day split. Um, sometimes we'll do three, depends on the athlete, whether they're maybe injured and they don't, and there's a bit of an opportunity there to work on strength training. If they're a heavyweight fighter, I'll probably do three sessions, but most boxers do two sessions a week. We'll do hinge on the first day, squat on the second, now the reason why we'll do the hinge action, which is a trap bar deadlift, Romanian deadlift, sumo deadlift, maybe a clean pull on explosive days, a kettlebell swing, banded kettlebell swing. The reason why we do that on that day is because they're going to be stronger doing this from a concentric action because we know that they're quite weak in the eccentric action and also they might get quite sore from that. So with the squat, if we do that on a Monday or Tuesday, if they get sore, that might affect their two or three, affect them for two or three days, which affects their ability to run faster and uh, predominantly affect their ability to perform in boxing. If we do it at the end of the week on Thursday or Friday, we know that we're only affecting one or even zero sessions. So that's how, how we mix that up. We, pair, we often do it in supersets as well. So we'll do like a, an assistance exercise in between there, whether that's a, a banded pull apart, posterior shoulder, external rotation, banded face pull to supplement that movement, or we'll integrate some core training. With core training, we integrate that into supersets and do a circuit at the end. The reason why is because we need to fit in our core training because this we, we've just mentioned, lean mass of the core is really important. Rotational power through the trunk is really important. So we need to, try and fit as many exercises in as we can. Then we're doing a push and a pull, we'll do horizontal push, which is dumbbell chest press, dumbbell floor press, we'll do a rack press. Very rarely we'll do a bench press. And the reason why they're quite tight in their shoulders, there's imbalances between left and right. And also when they get to them deeper ranges, they might get a internal rotation of the humeral head, put a lot of pressure 
through this anterior shoulder capsule and then they're getting a lot of pain and pressure through there anyway through the boxing so we want to try and limit this in the in the SNC gym where they're pulling dumbbell prone row prone rotate uh, single arm prone rotate with this I'll probably go uh, like a 1 to 1.5 or maybe even 1 to 2 ratio here because we know that boxers perform thousands of punches in a single session so that's about 10,000 punches across a week it's very anterior dominant so we want to try and create a bit of a balance in our in our programs mostly it ends up being like a one to three or even above ratio uh, when we're putting posterior shoulder work into there as well then we do vertical push and a pull most pulling exercises are like pull-ups or cable pull-downs the the vertical press is something that we really need to focus on um, the vertical press um, a lot of boxers like just mentioned 66% of junior boxers limited overhead range so we can't do your traditional military press dumbbell push press overhead split jerks and stuff like that we can't do that because they're limited in that overhead range it limits the amount of weight that they can lift overhead but also they'll start compensating using lower back so we perform a lot of our exercises like dumbbell base so we'll do a kneeling shoulder press with the dumbbells or we'll do landmine with a landmine we can get that shoulder recruitment anterior and posterior without going overhead so a lot of our shoulder work is done on landmines then single leg we'll do, we'll do some reverse lunges split squat dumbbell step ups and then um, lateral lunges we'll do some uh, single leg hip thrusts as well if for, the, for those athletes that can do it and then we perform a core circuit at the end again going through them four fundamentals of, of core training in terms of sets and reps it depends on the athlete so um, they'll go at the start anywhere between 8 and 12 repetitions to build, build up that, uh, them foundations even though we want to avoid muscular hypertrophy <coughs> sorry even though we want to avoid muscular hypertrophy it's not very it's not done under a lot of load we're not doing so many reps within a session um, we're also they're in an energy uh, negative energy balance so they're very unlikely to increase muscular hypertrophy and also they've got a lot of different training loads like running and and boxing and everything like that so there's a lot of conflicting things there so 8 to 12 repetitions strength foundations moving on to about 5 or 8 repetitions and then moving on to like 3 to 5 reps on, on, your, on your maximum strength or your, or your powerful movements one thing I didn't mention is squats goblet we start off with a goblet squat move on to landmine and then for the back squat can be quite problematic so more often than not I'll either do squat from the pins for maximum strength or do uh, box squats as well added to this we do a lot of band work to increase accommodating resistance so something that we didn't mention before is that acceleration is so important during the lift as this transfers towards punch increases rate of force development but also we want intention at the end range of the movement because most of the action if you throw uh, a straight arm shots the tension is created right at the end range of the movement so if we're doing a bench press most of our sorry dumbbell press most of our force is coming from this part here and then you kind of push you're using that momentum to push it all the way out to the end 
we're wanting to increase the force at the end ranges to then transfer into when you land against opponent or a bag or a pad, we're still maximizing that rate of force development to all the way through to, to the target. So we use a lot of bands, whether that's on the trap bar, on the squat, on the shoulder press, on the dumbbell chest press, we use a lot of accommodative systems, not only for strength, speed and explosiveness, but also towards maximum strength as well. Absolutely excellent. <clears throat> I think that's a, a really nice way to, to go through all of those different parts as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to mention that it's not just a, a one size fits all policy okay. of like eight to 12 repetitions forever for every athlete. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a really nice breakdown. Uh, yeah. Where can find, people find a little bit more information about you and what you're up to? Yeah, so the main thing that we go on is Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Wilson underscore Boxing Science. I've also got another Instagram, at Boxing Science. We share loads of information on there in terms of like athlete updates of people that we're working with in the gym, case studies, breakdowns of our YouTube videos. So that brings on nicely to YouTube, so Boxing Science on YouTube. And then our website is boxingscience.co.uk. We've got a range of different articles. We've got a membership, which is like the Netflix for boxing, where you've got like a range of different workshops and workouts and exercise techniques, got 350 exercise, exercise library on there. And then we've got our Train Like Champion series as well, where you can find out a lot more about the in-depth details of our strength training, but not only that, our movement training, our nutrition, and also how we approach conditioning as well. Absolutely excellent. So Danny, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking and I look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks, Pat. Much appreciated. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Danny for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overflowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. And that means you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. In addition to that, every time you complete a course, you'll get a certificate of completion, which means you can prove your ongoing education. And what's more, you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. So hit that link just after finishing the podcast. Lastly, it would be fantastic if you'd recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the most possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.